Welcome to IAQ Radio, the voice of the indoor air quality industry. Yes, the rules have changed. Listening from and welcome to Indoor Air Quality Radio, IAQ Radio for Friday, May 31st, 2013. This week is episode 286. Roxy V and I are coming to you from Studio D in Central City, Pennsylvania. My name is Radio Joe Hughes, and at the controls is Roxy V, Val Bender. Good afternoon, everyone. Back in McKee's Rocks, we've got the Z-Man, Cliff Slotnick. It's a great day. Beautiful day. Hi, Joe. Hi, Val. Hi, audience. It's good to be with you. It's a gorgeous day in the Berg, huh? All right. Of course, uh, we'll be having our technical director, Dr. Dietrich Wild, join us a little bit later. Today's segments include the IAQ radio radio trivia question and an interview with Bernard Bloom. Bernie Bloom's going to talk to us a little bit about spray foam applications. Interesting subject. Uh, of course, we'll break for our halftime, and then we'll come back for the roundup. Before we get started, let's thank our marquee sponsors. Indoor Environment Connections, the newspaper for the IAQ industry. Subscriptions and advertising information are available at ieconnections.com. John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop. Visit them at www.johndon.com. Clean Facts and Cleaning and Maintenance Management Magazine, your source for cleaning and maintenance news. Visit them at clean, C-L-E-A-N-F-A-X.com and cmmonline.com. Please be sure to thank our sponsors for their support of IEQ Radio when you inquire about their services and products. All right. Of course, you can stream past shows by going to our website from the home page. Just click on the show number, and the Go To Show button at the top will take you to the TalkShoe website where you can either stream or download past shows, and of course, they're available from iTunes. We also have renewal credits available for ABIH, IICRC, and ACAC. Email me at joe.hughes at iaqtraining.com. We'll get you out the quiz and get you set up for the renewal credit program. Last but not least, please visit the IAQ Training Institute website for the most current dates for the training you trust at iaqtraining.com. Let's turn it over to the Z-Man for today's IAQ Radio trivia question. Thanks, Joe. Win a cool prize by out-competing fellow IAQ Radio listeners and being the first person to correctly answer the IAQ radio trivia question each week. Submitting your answer is very easy. Either email it to czlotnick at cs.com, or if you're listening to the show live via your computer, you can text in your answer. Congratulations. (laughs) 
to Steve Teams, Airways Environmental Services in Red Bank, New Jersey, for being first to identify adsorption as the binding of molecules or particles to a surface. The IEQ Radio Trivia Question for Friday, May 31st, 2013, has been sponsored by Triska, the Tri-State Restorers and Specialty Cleaners Association, who have been serving the needs of and advocating for their members for over 30 years. Remember, Triska is your link to industry training, certification, standards, and events. Check out their website, www.trsca.org. Now for today's trivia question. Name the scientist widely considered the father of polyurethane chemistry. Back to you, Joe. Okay, thank you, Cliff. Bernard Bloom, is a, uh, he's got four decades of environmental experience working with both government and private sector. He is the current president of BSEA, an indoor air quality consulting firm down in Silver Springs, Maryland. He's done numerous investigations into conventional and unusual indoor air quality problems. Bernie's got a long history in the indoor air quality and also the regulatory compliance field. He's done work at uh, public health departments in Pittsburgh and down in the D.C. area. And he's also run his own company and worked for some major corporations uh, along the way as well. Interesting background. We look forward to talking to him. Bernie's a graduate from University of St. Louis and also Carnegie Mellon University. Also did some time with Dr. Weil at the University of Pittsburgh's Graduate School of Public Health. Before we get started, I think we have some music for Bernie. FOMO, FOMO. Hello, Bernie. Do we have you on the line? You do. Great. Thanks for joining us. Uh, Good morning to you, and uh, welcome to IAQ Radio. I know we've talked about it before. We finally got you on. Looking forward to discussing spray polyurethane polyurethane foams today, Bernie. Um, What got you involved? I mean, you've got a long history. Let's go back over that a little bit. You've been in the public health area. You've worked with um, on your own as a consultant, I think, with some other companies doing consulting and um, I think you started out more in the outdoor air arena back in the days of um, your time back in Pittsburgh area. What got you That's involved right. in more indoor air quality like issues? Oh, uh, let me answer that in a second. Uh, so I went to Washington University in St. Louis, not the St. Louis University. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. Yeah. Well, what got me into uh, looking at spray phone problems is, uh, in my normal practice, homeowners were coming to me with uh, issues. Uh, the, the first one was a few years ago when, uh, maybe three or four years ago, uh, when a sprayer, an insulation contractor, uh, came to us and said, would you look at this house? They're complaining about odors. We just sprayed there. But we think we did it right. Uh, please find out. And on that particular job, it turned out the odors were microbial. Uh, they had nothing to do with the spray foam. But since then, my phone's wrong. With uh, first in my area, and then uh, uh, I'm getting calls from outside. Huh. So you're now just to meet it. It was to meet a need, to put it simply. Okay. And that's and, and it, your background is is pretty unique in that respect. I would think you 
you know, you've got a materials science and engineering uh, degree and then uh, materials engineering. And I know you did some time with the um, Graduate School of Public Health, so you, you've done some industrial hygiene type stuff as well. What was your, when you went out to look at this first project, I'm just curious, um, did you know right away it wasn't a foam issue and that it was microbial, or did you have to do some digging? Uh, digging. Uh, it, because this was not the classical uh, musty odor from growing uh, 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 mold, uh, and it wasn't obvious that anything was wet, and we finally traced it to uh, uh, a bacterial problem in uh, an internal French drain, but because this happened at the same time the hole had been foamed, uh, what had actually happened was uh, that normal points of air infiltration that were blocked by the new foam in the basement were finding other holes in the envelope to go through, and one of these envelopes happened to go over this internal French drain. That's very oh. interesting. I, I, that's really interesting to me because I, I think uh, it's important to point out that, you know, whenever you're dealing with indoor air quality issues, going in with one thing in mind is obviously a mistake, and, and you've, you've proven that here. You know, just looking at the foam wasn't the issue, and in fact, the foam changed the dynamics in the home to the point where another issue that probably existed all along was kind of presenting itself. Is that accurate to say? That's very accurate. Uh, in short, when you touch a house, you change it. you got to be sure what you're doing. Hmm. Now, are all of these... Well, Cliff, you want to go next? Uh, I, thanks, Joe. Hey, Bernie, thanks for joining us. Um, I, well, I've got a couple of questions. I guess the first one is, you know, many of us have gone into a Home Depot and we've seen uh, the insulation board uh, that, that sold there, the foam insulation board. It may be blue, it may be pink. Uh, are those materials the same chemically as the insulation that is applied in situ? Uh Similar, but the key difference is not so much the specific materials or input chemicals. It's that uh, foam boards, uh, uh, like uh, styrofoam boards, are manufactured in factories where there's strict quality control, whereas what we're doing here with residential spray foam is actually manufacturing the foam in the home. Okay. which is not under the quality control conditions of factories. And I hear a lot about open cell versus closed cell foam, Bernie. Can you just kind of give us a little quick primer on the different types of foam that are applied in homes nowadays? Sure. Yeah, so you're right. There's open cell, which is typically four times less dense than the closed cell. Closed cell is... Uh, uh, more moisture resistant, uh, it's denser, it costs more, and it's got different blowing agents typically than for uh, open cell. By blowing agents, I mean those compounds which cause the chemicals to expand to become foamy. And from the point of view of a user, depends. What to use depends on what your specific purpose is, where the home is located, 
what your budget is, a lot of factors. Bernie, when an applicator uh, decides to go into this business and they buy a set of application equipment or a trailer or you know, the, uh-huh. the machinery, are they limited to just using one manufacturer's product or can they, or can that system apply all the different types? Well, I can't say all different types, but no, usually they're not locked into one chemical company. And the chemical companies know that. Right? And the trainings, uh, they might be able to use their equipment with uh, different uh, firms' products, but the, the each specific product, let's say an open cell phone from Company X, has its own recipe, its own strict yeah, the, the, the rules that you have to follow, the application process, then maybe for a different company. So, same equipment, but different procedures, possibly, and therefore different trainings. Gotcha. Bernie, be- before we go, uh, Cliff, I'm sorry, did you have another one you wanted to follow up with? Well, I, I kind of did. I was doing some research on his website and other websites, and, you know, I was very surprised that, you know, most of us, you know, at least the three of us that are on the line, and, and certainly a lot of the people that are listening, and, and, and including Dr. Weil, are going to be very familiar with you know, some of the problems that existed with the, uh, previously with urea uh, formaldehyde foam insulation. And, and I think if, if I was, I think it was either on your site or a link from your site, that I was very surprised to learn that the big box stores still specify UFFI uh, for use. Can can you comment on that? Well, to be really straight up clear, uh, I've been working on problems of polyurethane spray foams. Okay. Not UFFI. Okay. Uh, and they have different applications. Uh, the, the, the materials that I'm familiar with are... Uh, uh, Typically, professionally applied, not do-it-yourself, uh, polyurethane uh, spray foams. These are uh, involved processes that require a lot of training. Uh, I, I know that's sort of a major question. Well, no, no. I, I was just surprised that the these big box stores were using it, I think, to fill concrete block, and I guess they found yeah. it beneficial and they, they weren't suffering, uh, it, at least, it didn't seem to be suffering consequences because of it. So I was yeah. Just... But you know, UFFI is not uh, used inside homes in the place where we now spray. Uh, right. it's, it, the, the, the formaldehyde problems taught us not to do that. Okay, well, let's let's move on to the application process, Bernie. Maybe you could just quickly describe the process is it the same for open cell and closed cell are we mixing two products together on site and then applying them through some kind of spraying operation yeah uh from the homeowner's perspective the contractor is going to have two hoses going to uh uh each to its separate tank a so-called side a and a side b tank they contain uh the chemicals that were mixed together under pressure uh, in the spray gun uh, of the foam. Uh, uh, the 
so the homeowner may not see all the different details, but uh, the applicator is using two different products that has to be aware of what he's doing in great detail. The homeowner, though, won't see the difference. Okay. In fact, I might add, the homeowner shouldn't even be there. Uh, homeowners should be told to not be in the house during the strike. Now, Bernie, what's the first indication that something's gone wrong during this process? So, uh, homeowner comes home, and uh, if there's a problem, it's probably going to first manifest as an odor. Uh, and uh, the odor might be described as a chemical odor or differently, a sort of like a charred odor, like there was some combustion going on, or it might be a fishy odor, uh, and that's what they'll first experience. Then uh, uh, within a day or two, they may experience uh, other uh, health effects, uh, like uh, they may get headaches uh, or blurred vision, or there's other health effects. Uh, but odor is the first and dominant thing that people smell. And how long after the fact sh should people be allowed back into these homes? I, I know the guys doing the spraying, they have, they're supposed to have. I know Dr. Wow has a story of a guy that did some spraying way back in the days that uh, had no personal protective equipment, no engineering controls, and, and he suffered from it. In fact, he repeated the mistake. But anyway, um, what type of, you know, how long should it be before they're able to go back into their home, I guess? Well, that is a very big question that's still outstanding. Uh, uh, this is being looked into by the industry. Uh, uh, the, the shortest stay-out time is typically 24 hours, but some people think up to three days. Uh, but really, we should first say, why stay away? What's the purpose of staying away? Okay. The principal reason for staying away is the sprayer is wearing uh, protective equipment. So there'll be purified air and the proper, the proper respirator and so forth. The homeowner has none of that. And certainly my experience is that when attics are being sprayed, the attic may first have been an open structure. Now the whole point of the spraying is to tighten up the attic so that you reduce uh, exfiltration. Uh, and so where do these gases go? And particles, I should say, from the... They don't all stick to the uh, uh, plywood, say, of the, uh, uh, the wood deck. roof deck. Yeah, right. So they, they, I, they, they spread uh, throughout the house, and now the homeowner is breathing unprotected chemicals that shouldn't be there and that could chemically sensitize a homeowner and we'll talk more about that later but that's the reason not to be there so that doesn't happen now uh, go ahead bernie did did you want to add something me no okay i've got a text question here from a listener and it goes back to our last question i think it's a good one 
who in the industry or who in government, I guess, is responsible uh, to make the determination of the length of time the homeowner should stay away? Wow. Super question. Uh, well, so let's start with government and the federal government. Uh, for, let me think, uh, four years now or so, there's been something called the Federal Interagency Work Group on polyurethane spray foam uh, problems. So we have EPA, we have OSHA, uh, we have Consumer Product Safety Commission, other agencies. Uh, and they've been contending with this question. No clear answer yet. Second, the industry itself uh, has been trying to develop uh, uh, a technical basis for this. They went to the ASTM. They said, help us. ASTM formed the working group. That problem is being studied right now. But uh, from my perspective, uh, it's hard to see how there'll be a strongly scientifically supported particular keep-out time because, after all, what we're talking about is errors during the spraying process. And I know I went to one, of the, uh, one meeting of that working group about a year and a half ago, and uh, they're only they're only working with good foams, not foams that were designed to be emitting. So that's on the government side. On the industry side, uh, a key thing is to remember that SPF competes with other products, other insulation products. It has some terrific advantages, particularly in lowering infiltration, but. It's still in competition. So if you tell somebody that it should, shouldn't be in their home for three days, they're going to say, what? And in addition to the extra cost of having to maybe be in a hotel, they're asking the question, how come I'm not here? What's the story with straight foam? So it's not even just a scientific question. It's uh, also a commercial question. Well, let, let, let me ask you a common sense question. And I mean, you know, you're doing these investigations, and you know, certainly, you know, there's a, a, a there's a large percentage of these projects that go right, and I would say the majority of them go right. There's a percentage that's smaller that, that goes wrong. Do you believe that this is a fundamentally flawed procedure that shouldn't be done at all, or do you think that? You know, training is you know the training is the answer, or better environmental controls are the answer, or or, or what? You know, what's your opinion? Seeing what you've seen. Uh, so uh, we have ten hours to talk about this, right? <laughs> uh, I'll try to I'll try to boil it down to a short answer. Uh, I certainly it's true that for every job that goes bad, there are many many that don't. Okay. Uh, we should stand back. I mean, there are tens of thousands of these jobs happening in, in our country every year. Right. Uh, uh, Consumer Product Safety Commission is trying to figure out how many are, are going bad, but uh, it'll be a much smaller number when they when they come up for air with the number. But the thing is, we're asked manufacture in a home. Manufacture in a home means that inevitably some fraction 
so we can reduce better trading, but that's all we can do. Okay, so uh, let me get this. Let me, see uh, let, let me let me let me let me just add something. Go ahead, answer. please. Uh, uh, I hope it's seeing legacy problems. That is, problems that started two, three, four years ago. Uh, uh, the industry is working to reduce the failure rates by upping the training, but uh, until chemical industry who's selling to the installers. Homeowner can't buy this directly. Uh, until they get serious about enforcing their requirements contractually, uh, requirements such as exhaust ventilating at the job site or better training, uh, uh, we're going to have a residual number of these problems. It can be reduced, but it's not going to made to go to zero. Okay, and and let me ask, let me just clarify, and make sure I'm, I'm understanding this right. You don't, you're not contending, and I don't know who is or if anyone is, that there's a defect in the product. It's more there's a problem with the application and with applying it when it may not be appropriate to apply it. Is that accurate to say? Uh, yes. Uh, you know, this is not to say that the chemicals that are delivered to the commercial applicator are what they're supposed to be 100% of the time. But generally, to get it right, there's a lot of things, everything of which you have to do right. Uh, so let me boil this to an illustration. Suppose somebody's using a product in an attic, and the requirement is don't spray if you're under 50 degrees Fahrenheit. Suppose. Okay. That the guy goes ahead and sprays. It could be a problem. Absolutely. Now, let me also clarify one more thing. It appears, at least from what I've seen and read, most of the problems occur not so much in new construction, but in retrofitting of older homes. Would you agree with that, or would you say? Hell no. It? No? Okay. No, no, not at all. Uh, 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 to, to get a perspective on this, let's stand back a little. Okay. Uh, uh, so, of course, at any one time, there are more retrofit jobs going on than new home jobs because, you know, there are a few new home starts relative to the, the stock of existing housing. But, uh, uh, code changes, especially in 2012, with the acceptance generally around the country of the International Energy Conservation Code, required new homes to be much tighter on an air exchange per hour basis. And one of the ways to achieve that is with spray foam. And in order to get spray foam right, the contractor uh, will sub it out to one of these spray foam insulation guys, uh, and if the, if the house is still, if that foam is still off-gassing when the uh, a purchaser takes possession, moves in, that's a problem, and I've seen that, and I've seen it in, oh, half a dozen states. It's not unique to any one region or any one applicator. Okay. 
All right. Well, let me let's see. We're getting close to halftime. Cliff, do you have one more before halftime? Um. No, let's do it after, Jim. Okay, and I got a quick one, I think, Bernie, that I can get in before halftime, I hope. Um, do you see more problems with open cell phone applications or closed cell or no difference? Uh, well, I see more of a problem with uh, open cell because there's more open cell jobs. Gotcha. Uh, and uh, this, is a, this is something that, needs to be explained. Open cell phones are not just emitters. They're also absorbers. That is to say, chemicals uh, in new house construction, such as terpenes or aldehydes that are inherent in OSB and will be emitted into the house, normally would be exchanged out of the house. And I've worked in houses that were like that, new homes. Uh, with open cell phone on in attic and in walls and even uh, underneath the uh, uh, floor. Uh, and what you see when you study the phones, these are houses that have never been furnished and never been occupied, is you actually do uh, headspace testing on the phones, you see that there are these... Uh, aldehydes and terpenes that come from the building materials. So that moves up the count on total volatile organic uh, compounds. Now, if somebody's been chemically sensitized in, in, in the house, then they may not be able to stand those compounds, even though that's not a standard foam profile. It's complicated is my message. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Let us do our halftime here, Bernie. We'll be right back after we thank our sponsors with Bernie Bloom. We're talking about spray foam issues and answers, and it's been interesting so far. The second half, we'll get into a lot more detail on application and then remediation. Thanks to our association sponsors, the Indoor Air Quality Association, IAQA, a nonprofit multidisciplinary organization dedicated to promoting the exchange of indoor environmental information through education and research. Visit them at www.iaqa.org. And thanks to our advertisers, Gray Wolf Sensing Solutions, who use advanced sensor software technology and embedded computers to provide superior environmental test instrumentation. Visit them at wolfsense.com. Legends Environmental Insurance Services, the experts in insurance for environmental consultants and contractors for over 20 years. Learn about them at legends-enviro.com. And, of course, our marquee sponsors, Indoor Environment Connections, the newspaper for the IAQ industry. Subscriptions and advertising information are available at ieconnections.com. John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop. Visit them at 
www.johndon.com. Clean Facts and Cleaning and Maintenance Management Magazine, your source for cleaning and maintenance news. Visit them at clean, C-L-E-A-N-F-A-X.com and cmmonline.com. Please be sure to thank our sponsors for their support of IEQ Radio when you inquire about their services and products. Okay, we're back with the second half of our interview with Bernie Bloom. Bernie, Bernie, let's let's get you back on the line here. Um, when when it comes to these spray foam application projects, we let's you know we've gone over the background and how it's applied and all of that. Now, once we've got a project where people suspect there's a problem, how do you go about? Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, how do you go about assessing the issue? Okay, uh, let's look at it from the uh, perspective of somebody who's called to a home house by a homeowner. Now, um, like any other indoor air quality investigation, you get a terrific history of when the stuff was applied, you know, what happened, where were people when it was applied, uh, and in the days and weeks thereafter. Um, if somebody tells me that they smelled a charring, a combustion-type odor, and it was a uh, closed-cell foam, I might take a knife and cut into the foam and see if what might be a normally green color is turned yellow. Uh, some manufacturers put uh, indicator compounds in there that will change color to tell them if the process went too hot. And uh, the suggestion, the reason for wanting to know something like that is, well, if you know what happened during the process, it might help you know what to look for. Uh, the first rule is not go out and do an IAQ test. It's to understand what happened. The homeowner's concerned about three things. By the time I've been called, they're living someplace else. They're not in the house. That's the common situation. Okay. So they're concerned who did what to make my house like that? What do I do to fix my house? Is it fixable? And uh, Is what do I tell my <laughs> Always, right? Yeah. Right? And uh, it's another question, which is, what do I tell my doctor? Does my doctor know what he's doing? I'm not a lawyer or a physician, madam, but... So so we get, we get a, a, a fact profile. Uh, if this is a situation in which the homeowner is interested in what happened? The homeowner's probably been to some other people even before they get to me. Uh, there are a few guys going around the country uh, consulting who are deeper experts at foam uh, than I might be. Uh, there are, they may have had uh, uh, remediators in. Uh, let me tell you a quick story. Uh, uh, I have a customer on Long Island. On the South Shore, he got hit hard by Hurricane Sandy. He had a mold remediation done. They removed, uh, among other things, uh, so this was a, a, a stick house, a wood-framed standard house. Um, and then somebody sprayed closed-cell foam into the stud cavities 
rehung and painted the drywall, and then the odors began, as I was describing. What did that family want to know? Uh, what? How do you fix the house? Is it fixable? And so, just to say one more thing about this, so you can see why it's very, very important to have a discussion about what the exposure pattern was or might have been in during and immediately after the spraying. Because if the person was in the house, there's a chance they've been chemically sensitized. And then remediators are stuck because even though they might remove all the foam that's visible, there's no odors, the homeowner still can't live in the house. It's not psychogenic. It's not in their heads. It's this phenomenon that some people call sensitization, other people call uh, hyperreactivity. Um, and so th that is a big fork in the road for a potential remediation. The remediation may then be only to get rid of the odors so that, uh, so that the house can be sold because usually these houses don't, they, they've lost an enormous amount of equity because of the odor. Uh, so that's how an investigation begins. Okay. Um, in terms of this investigation process, um, what about external factors? Uh, have you ever seen a situation where the you know the house or the building is fine, that people you know were able to live there? It's years after the application, and something catastrophic happens in the house. There's a fire. There's a uh, water loss. There's a sprinkler discharge. You know, does water can something set off a reaction, or is this material pretty stable once it's dry and cured and off gas? Well, it's a polyurethane. They're subject to combustion, to smoking. Okay. All polyurethane foams right now are used in, in this application. Not, I'm not talking about memory foam in a mattress or in a couch. Uh, they all have fire retardants in them. Right. These fire retardants are mobile. They can leave the foam, especially if they're in an attic where the attic is quite hot, especially on the deck side, not the internal side of, say, a four-inch foam thickness. Um, as to moisture, so... so um, I know one house, uh, the only thing I want to say about it's in the Northeast, uh, large house, the problem started showing up three or four years after somebody moved in. And there are some folks in the remediation business who think that certain open cell phones are subject to degradation under high relative humidity conditions. Uh, maybe that was happening. This house was uh, along the seaboard. Um, what type of foam was that? Was that um, open, it was an open cell? It was an open cell, and it's all I feel comfortable. To say no, no, that's it. that's fine. I just wanted yeah. what I do is I try to make some notes, and we do a blog, and I just wanted to try to keep it straight. Sure. Okay. Yeah, yeah, but um, 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 uh, uh, so. Let me just add one thing to my answer. Anything that sets off a fire 
uh, is bad news for foam, but it's more generally bad news, right? Um, uh, usually, if there's going to be a fire, it's going to occur during application. If the foam was, uh, there are certain closed cell foams that you can only spray an inch or two. You may want to achieve six inches for our value purposes. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you, after the typical manufacturing uh, requirement would be after one, you sprayed one or two inches, wait 10 or 20 minutes. Let it cool off. The foam is an insulator. It takes time for the heat to get out. Uh, the chemical reaction that forms the foam is highly exothermic. It generates heat itself, maybe 150 degrees Fahrenheit. So houses that are sprayed rapidly with this stuff because, let's say, the contractor wasn't paying attention or was rushed because they got another job tomorrow or any of a number of reasons, uh, that foam can get so hot that an explosive fire can start. That happened in Massachusetts a couple of years ago. That's more typically the catastrophic event that you mentioned. Well, no, no. I, I mentioned really the opposite. I think that you may have misunderstood. Uh, I'm talking about a fire from another source. Like, you know, it's a home or it's a building and there's a, you know, there's a kitchen fire or whatever and the house gets yeah. smoked up or whatever. And, and that that's what I meant. So, um, uh, well, with respect to what you just helped me understand, um, so there are building codes that require... 15-minute firewall protection, separating foam from uh, the rest of the house. For example, that's satisfied by a half-inch of uh, chipboard in a a conventional wall. Now, when foams are sprayed uh, in attics, either rafter or truss-designed attics, uh, that foam is exposed. Right. there are coatings called intermescent, uh, basically spray paints that can be put over it to buy the time. So, but, so if there's some event, some thermal event that, <coughs> excuse me, uh, gets into the attic, mm-hmm. heats up the foam, that uh, can set the foam off. <coughs> Okay. I mean, I, I understand that if it got hot enough and so on and so forth, that you know you might have flashover or whatever. I was more concerned about, um, you know, something something less than that. But I appreciate the thoroughness well, of the answer. Well, uh, I, I haven't run into it. Is you know the short answer. Okay. Now let me let me ask this, Bernie. Oh. Once you go through your initial, I assume you you know you take a piece of the foam. You maybe I don't know. You put it in a jar and then seal up the jar and then take off the lid to see if if it smells down the road. I mean, is that? Yeah, yeah. That is standard practice. Okay. Uh, uh, I learned at the um, feet of uh, Joe Steebrook. Okay. Okay. And, uh, uh, and now people might want to take that foam in the jar. I use uh, standard ball mason jars, half liter. Um, if you let that jar just sit in the sun, you open the lid, you can have an overpowering odor. I mean, not necessarily, but that can happen. And I've got a, if you will, a, a library of mason jars uh, for jobs that go back 
a uh, number of years now. Uh, some will keep smelling like that for a number of years. We, that jar can be sent, the material in that jar can be sent to uh, a GCMS lab for analysis. Mm-hmm. Uh, the heads, will they analyze, yeah. analyze the heads? Yeah, first? yeah, yeah. Uh, a standard ASTM small chamber test, or uh, some people just call them jar tests. I mean, those are different. But you get a sense of what's in there. And in those tests, you can take the foam and reheat it to the temperature it would operate at during its normal operation in a house. So walls might be not as heated as hot. The foam from walls might not be heated to the same as you would uh, uh, an attic. Um, and if it's in a crawl space, uh, normal ASTM procedures might be too warm, actually. Uh, but that only tells you some information. Um, uh, it's been, I think, correctly pointed out that foams in a retrofitted house can absorb other indoor air contaminants that normally would exchange out. So it's possible to see compounds that were not part of the original foam. And I've had situations where when you test the air in the house, you don't see some of the compounds that you see in the foam headspace test, even when you uh, take into account temperature differences. So uh, it boils down in some cases to a real judgment. Clip Bernie, on. is there is there any room for optimism? I mean, is, are, are there any remedial pr- procedures? I'm sorry, are there, are there any remedial procedures other than removing it that can fix uh, a, a problem? Well, um, so, like any other subject in IAQ, you know, you get five people in a room and you'll have seven arguments going, right? Right. Uh, so, there are some people who think that you can uh, cover the foam uh, with some material, like a, a foil, a metal foil, to uh, reduce, reduce emission rates. The magic coating that we would all like to have that would not affect an already sensitized homeowner, but is terrific against uh, 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 diffusion of compounds that get to the foam surface to prevent them from being emitted into a space, I don't know of. Uh, and I don't know of it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. Uh, cleaning foams at the surface doesn't do any good, I think, because if the foam is five inches thick, have diffusion from off-gassing from deep within the foam, it'll get to the surface again. Uh, so here's the optimism. Um, uh, we make mistakes. We learn from them. We feedback. Prevention is the key. Industry and government understand that. Prevention of failures. Uh, the key to prevention is uh, uh What makes me a cautious but not a fully-blown optimist on this is that prevention requires, in the end, the expenditure of money by somebody in the process, uh, for example, doing proper exhaust ventilation or uh, doing the job slower uh, so as to follow all rules. Um, And... That costs money, and so if 
bomb's going to find its place it, it, in our world. It'll level off at probably a higher price than it is now, because prevention costs money. But I'm optimistic that uh, fewer adverse jobs seem to be happening in the last, say, 18 months than in the preceding four years. Uh, as, as far as optimism in terms of remediation houses, um, it's very, very hard to remediate without taking this rigid material and making foam dust. Foam dust is a serious issue. Um, Why? I'm working on, well, I'm working because now the area of the small particles, which are still not finished off gassing, is the specific surface area of a small particle is much, much bigger in the aggregate than bulk foam. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, there's more to it than that. Uh, I, I want to say one other reason for optimism. Uh, there was a conference, uh, a technical conference, put on by uh, a joint uh, government industry uh, uh, and American and Canadian uh, uh, consortium in April here in uh, uh, Bethesda, Maryland. And um, it was about isocyanates, of which foam was a part. And uh, the sense I had from that is... Uh, uh, a research agenda to address some of these issues is being developed, and so I am always optimistic about uh, American technical capability if we focus. Now, uh, Bernie, for those that are in this situation, though, I mean, I guess you, you've got a couple options. One is they can move out if they're sensitive. I mean, is that right. okay? Um, the second would be, uh, you, I guess you can remove and replace these products if they've been misapplied, but it sounds like you shy away from that. Would you say in that case that um, maybe you should just sell the home and then and get someone in there that's not sensitive, or would you increase ventilation oh, uh, in the home? I mean, what, what are your options there? Well, the homeowner, uh, uh, the first thing the homeowner's done is gone back to the uh, spray contractor. Hey, it smells. Hey, I'm sick. Spray contractor calls in the chemical company. They come in and typically either say there's no problem or the insulation contractor. Of course, it's all finger pointing. Uh, 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 we haven't gotten to the tort lawyers yet, but they're the next step on this process, and there have been a number of litigations that I'm well aware of. Um, uh, so, what is the homeowner's choice? The homeowner's choice, which is awful, is to put up front the money to fix the house or to take a chance on fixing the house or fixing the house so it can be sold and using litigation as a cost recovery procedure with all the pain and uncertainty that goes with that. Um, um, uh, right now, this, is, this process is highly unregulated at the federal, state, or local level. Uh, um, and so there's possibility there of doing things at the local level uh, with, uh, requiring better qualifications on people who are doing this process. But the homeowner is stuck. Um, and I know of homeowners who are stuck in their tracks for several years. Uh, it's hard to get traction. Uh, uh, 
Um, yeah, it, it's a very difficult financial and emotional problem to lose the security and safety of your house and have your equity hit hard at the same time and be living with these uncertainties. Uh, uh, that's my experience. Okay, let's do this. Cliff, do you have anything you wanted to add before we no, get around? No, I think uh, Dieter's sister. Yeah, I'd like to get Dr. Wow in here, Bernie, and have him uh, make a couple points, and then also I'd like to give you a chance to make any final comments. So let's let's go to our roundup. Move him on, hit him up, hit him up, move him on, move him on, hit him up, raw high. Cut him out, ride him in, ride him in, let him out, cut him out, ride him in, raw Before we go to Dr. Wild, Bernie, let me ask you a quick question. I mean, it seems to me you've got manufacturers out there who are making these products. They know that, you know, occasionally things go wrong. Have you had any luck with them actually working with, you know, I'm sure they try and work with the building owner to some degree and and rectify these problems. Is that just not happening, or is it happening, but it's just... uh, Oh, no, it it can happen to an extent, Uh, I'm aware of a number of companies who have made, uh, have done cooperation modestly, I should say, with homeowners. Um, uh, but to a greater extent, the chemical companies know that if these problems keep recurring, uh, it's going to hurt their sales uh, because there are competing products that don't have these problems. Um, that's that's my short answer. So their focus um, has been more on prevention than on fixing the, at least in your experience, than on fixing the existing problems. Yeah, that's right. Okay. Um, uh, I, I don't have anything of great wisdom to add beyond what you just said. All right. Well, let's get Dr. Wow in here. Dieter, let's see. we got our... Dieter, do we have you on the line? Absolutely. Can you hear me? You sound great, Dieter. Any, I'm sure you've got a couple things you'd like to add or maybe a question for uh, Yes, for another hour or so. <laughs> Dieter, did you know the answer to the trivia question? You know what was the trivia question? Trivia question is oh, who, that was the polyurethane who was known as the father of polyurethane? Uh, you know, I mean, it was originally developed in Germany by Bayer. Right. That's right. And, but but it, was, uh, it was developed by a guy named Otto Bayer, who, Otto was, Bayer, who was not related to the chemical. No, had no rela- he was a cigar-smoking CEO uh, <laughs> at uh, the Bayer Corporation. Yes. Right, he ended up going to work for correct. Right. Uh, that is correct. Okay. Well, John had already nailed it within seconds, but uh, yeah. <laughs> I figured that you knew him. Right? Yeah, I got so, a, yeah, I, I never oh, met Otto Bayer. I got a quick Bayer, point. Uh, it, it would be pronounced Bayer in German. In German. And yeah, no relation. Uh, uh, but there are pictures of Otto Bayer with a cigar in his hand <laughs> on the premises. Anyway, I think we got to make something clear over here. 
spray foam is not spray foam is not spray foam. There are a bunch of things over there. I was in the forefront in the early 70s when I worked for a little company called Bayer Chemical Corporation, and we developed uh, the polyurethane uh, uh, foam. Now, here's another thing. There is foam. There is the open cell foam. We mentioned that before. Millions, millions of people sit on polyurethane uh, uh, foam. I'm sitting on one right now. Every car is full of uh, open cell foam on the seats. No doubt about it. Uh, that is based on an isocyanate that is a chemical, which is a very reactive chemical. And um, uh, that one is called TDI, toluene diisocyanate. That one with the right polio and the right accelerators uh, makes the open cell foam. Uh, it's a relatively simple process, and you still got to watch it over there. It is an exothermic reaction. In other words, as the two chemicals, and uh, they better be, and I get back to that, they better be in the correct ratio. If they are, This is one-to-one -one chemistry. This is exact chemistry. You can't say, oh, I throw a little bit more of that in there. It doesn't work. And I think that is the problem that Bernie is running into. Anyway, so that is uh, uh, the open cell form. <clears throat> I have seen hundreds and thousands of pounds made uh, uh, like that. <clears throat> now, here comes the closed cell form, which is used for insulation, the insulation boards, which again was developed. The original technology was developed by the Bayer Chemical Corporation. I was there. I was standing next to it. And you got to watch it. You have to have uh, uh, ventilation. If you don't have ventilation, <clears throat> you get irritated by the uh, uh, components of the polyurethane foam, in that case, MDI, and that is a <clears throat> eye, nose, and throat irritant, and you will notice that instantly when you are exposed to it. So that one makes the closed cell foam, which is a fantastic insulator. The other ones, when I started that, there was uh, the formaldehyde form, the urea formaldehyde form, which was not good because it broke down in time with humidity and temperature. All of a sudden, you sprayed it in, was a great insulator, then it broke down and you got formaldehyde out. You don't want to have formaldehyde in your house, period. Yeah, there is no doubt about it. Then they stabilized the molecule and they made the urea formaldehyde, which is more stable, doesn't break down like, uh, uh, di oh, did I say urea? I meant phenol formaldehyde, which doesn't break down like the urea formaldehyde, which was a good insulator, too. So, um, anyway, we got to watch that. Now, there are pumps available today, and I developed them. I saw them being developed two-component pumps, which get the two streams of the polio and the isocyanate together, and then it reacts. And with my chemists, I can catalyze a system to literally react in 10 seconds or in 10 hours. If you want to have 24 hours, I can do that too. So there are ways of doing that. 
Now again, it has to be exact chemistry. Once the polyurethane is reacted, there is no problem with it. If you overdo it on one side or the other side, the polyol smells, and it smells a little bit, ah, how should I say, I don't, I don't want to say rotten eggs, but it doesn't have a pleasant smell. The, uh, poly, uh, the, the isocyanate, the A component, doesn't really, uh, in, in, in the normal state, the MDI for polyurethane uh, closed cell insulation foam, which is used in homes, uh, hasn't really doesn't really have a smell. It's the polyol that doesn't smell. I mean, it it smells rotten. Yeah, I mean it does. So those are the problems. Now there is nothing wrong with the chemistry, but I think we have a problem with the applicators who quote don't know what the hell they are doing, and they don't they think that oh when you put the two together a little bit more a little bit less who the hell cares almost like an epoxy. When I do my epoxy gloom over here, I said, well, I put in a little bit more catalyst. Now, I make that stuff in yeah, half a gram uh, <laughs> a volume. That's it. Uh, so, well, you can't have a volume in grams, but uh, yeah, very small amounts. That doesn't matter, not in the walls. So I think that is where the problem is starting. And the beauty, one of the other beauties of the polyurethane foams is the unreacted, should there be the unreacted uh, isocyanate left with it, an active NCO group, nitrogen, uh, carbon, and oxygen that is hanging on there. The beauty of that is it reacts and loves to react with moisture. And since there's always moisture in the air, that kind of will go away. Now, I would strongly recommend, if you do indoor uh, uh, or attic uh, uh, um, polyurethane installation, get everybody out of there. Yeah. <laughs> Have massive ventilation, and perhaps if you are in an, in an enclosed area like an attic, I would say uh, have an, a, a supplied uh, air respirator where you get fresh air from the outside. This is not good for you. I don't think that one single small uh, exposure will make you chemically sensitive, as Bernie mentioned. That, I think, can happen. It can happen if you get overexposed. One huge exposure up front, we know that. <coughs> That, that can make you chemically sensitive. The fortunate thing is it's going to be sensitive to isocyanates. You're not sensitive to egg white and, and milk and, 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 and uh, uh, peanuts or something like that. And there are very few situations where you are actually being exposed to the isocyanate itself, unless you go to an isocyanate factory, and there we have our own problems over there. That is a different story. But so it is, it is an, an incredibly interesting chemistry and very interesting industrial hygiene, whatever you want to call it, problems that may arise when you don't know what you are doing. Oh, can I breathe now? All right, dear. <laughs> well, thank you. That's always in. It's, you know, it's great to have the, um, the, the chemical. 
chemistry background that you have and, and get that. Uh, Bernie, anything you would like to add to what Dieter just said? Yeah, very much would like to say. And I know people, specific people, who are exposed to mainly not the isocyanate, which is, he's right, it's gone, uh, but to the combination of the aldehydes and tertiary amines and uh, the uh, siloxanes used for uh, surfactant bubble control. Up there, the there. Chemi- yeah, yeah, but Dieter, I know people, a lot of people, who have been sensitized to that stuff and then are chemically sensitized to other VOC environments that are not uh, isocyanate-dominated. Uh, it's interesting. I am not aware of that, that it comes from that system. I know that yeah, people, well, that people well, get sensitized uh, to something by something, and yeah. yeah and well, have, let, me, let, let me just say this quickly. Sure. At this conference I went to uh, at April 4th, one of the principal speakers and organizers of this conference, an MD who specialized in isocyanates, who's in an academic environment, a very well-known uh, physician, stood up and said, I don't think it's the isocyanates that are by themselves. I think it's the mixture of these things. And what, when I go in and sample homes, uh, either there's a, a profile. And I might be in the home six months after it was sprayed. And we do a, a standard uh, GCMS-based test using the right labs and so forth. Okay, we'll that's see. Fine. Yeah, yeah, and, and we'll we'll see acetaldehyde and hexaldehyde and, and propanaldehyde, higher molecular aldehydes, which form during the this complex chemistry that you mentioned. Right, yeah. Uh, why? Yeah, because the glycols gave up their H's and OH's. That's and right. They can be and they can be oxidized. To uh, to to be uh, ketones and and aldehydes and and this stuff is irritating. As oh yes, said. No, oh my God, all aldehydes are irritating, no doubt about it. Right. So here's my point: that the what happens to some homeowners is they didn't get out as you and I are advocating. Okay. Oh, they weren't told well, to get out. I mean, they weren't told. You know. Yeah. Yeah, and so now they're not out of the house, and uh, they go to a pulmonologist, and uh, they may be, they may have chemical asthma, or the phenomena might be neurological. And the problem is, it's not just those original chemicals anymore. For some of these folks, yep. They well, have to, yeah, I guess and, that's and gonna you, Yeah, you and I should talk about this sometime. Yeah, we will. Well, hey, we talked the other day. It's the yeah. gentleman you mentioned, the MD. Is he from Tulane University? Uh, well, interestingly, uh, no, she's from Yale. Oh, okay. I know her also. I know Hans Weil. Uh, has the same last name as mine. He doesn't know how to spell his name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, uh, we'll, 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 we'll talk later. Right. I, I, I gladly talk to, uh, to you about it because I have been away from Bayer, as you know, for 30 years. So I was there in the beginning. I have no idea what the heck is going on today. I know what happened. Ah, you don't get out of it that easy. You are the <laughs> of all this problem. And, and, and 
if you look out your window now, you'll see the police cars arriving to take you away. Okay. <laughs> hey, listen, you know what, guys? We're running over, but Bernie, before we go, is there anything that you'd like to add, anything we missed? I want to make sure you have the last word here. And, and Dieter, is, was there anything? Let's go Dieter first. Anything you definitely wanted to get oh, in before? No, no, no. I mean, I have no problem with Bernie whatsoever. I am not aware of the newer applications. I knew it when we did the original uh, a closed cell that is the hard insulation foam, and uh, I have been away from it uh, for years. And I was there in the very beginning when we developed uh, two component uh, polyurethane paints for automotive finishes. I think today all of them have it. And again, we were there. And if you don't watch out that you don't have the right components coming together at the right time, uh, you you don't have a good pin. <laughs> it's as simple as that. Okay. And uh, here's what I want to add. Go ahead, Bernie. I think I think uh, residential single-family house SPF spray polyurethane foam is being oversold. It has it's it's sold. And what differentiates it from uh, other insulators, it's also an infiltration reducer because the foam gets into cracks then and, and cuts off exfiltration. But if houses are over-tightened, which is something I see happening on attic spray jobs, then that reduces the exchange rate and the houses become too tight. So then the energy auditors or the contractors might say to the homeowner, ah, now you have to install an outside air system, like an air-to-air heat exchanger, uh, to offset the fact that now your house is too tight. And then the capital and operating costs of the technology more than offsets the so-called savings by reducing infiltration. And I think that uh, uh, what we need here is uh, uh, a kind of a truth in advertising on this uh, type of product. Well, People are making decisions without sufficient information. Without realizing that if you tighten it up too much, you're going to affect everything. And, um, I, yeah, I think, and that's, I see a lot of the comments in here that, you know, ventilation is the key. And, and uh, awareness is another key. People have to be educated about the pros and the cons of these uh, solutions that people are presenting to them with respect to energy efficiency. It's not all about energy. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's that's right. A lot of this growth is driven by uh, desire to reduce carbon footprint, which puts the federal government on in the uh, pretty directly in some cases online for advocating the use of this stuff, hmm. and uh, and and but without the controls, the critical controls that Peter Weil mentioned. Um, uh, Nobody should allow a foam job to be taking place in their house if they, if the insulation contractor can't answer this question. So, contractor, how do you intend to exhaust ventilate this house? Show me your equipment and show me how you design the exhaust ventilation. If they can't answer that question, homeowners should say, I think we're not going to do this job with you. I can't think of a better way to end it, Bernie. That's uh, well said, and I think everyone would agree. And uh, I know you've got a good point up on the on the chat board. So well done, Bernie, Doctor Wild, Dieter, um, Bernie Bloom. Thanks for joining us. It's been a lot of fun. Any time, you know that, Joe. Dieter, always, Pleasure, as, always. as usual. Uh, Bernie
Bernie. We'll have to get together. I hope in August I'll see you up at uh, summer camp. Yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah, that's a good place to meet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And let Joe pay for the food, right? There you go. <laughs> I like you a beer. How about that? Uh, right. uh, when I say Joe, I don't mean radio show. <laughs> Very good. Uh, okay, well, uh, take care, man. Thank you. Okay, thank Bernie. You, man, Bernie. You take care. All right. This Bye-bye. is Radio Joe Hughes saying thanks to this week's guest, Bernie Bloom. Great job on the spray foam issue. Also to my co-host, the Z-Man, Cliff Slotnick. Well done, Cliff. Very interesting show. Very interesting. And, of course, to Val Bender at the controls, Roxy V. Sure, thanks, everyone. Thank you, Val. And, of course, to our growing group of loyal listeners. Nice group on today. Thank you all. We'll see you back next Friday at noon for the next episode of IAQ Radio. Maybe I didn't hold you All those lonely, lonely times And I guess I never told you I'm so happy that you're mine Little things I should have said and done I just never took the time When you were always on my mind IAQ Radio Production.